Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Welcome to Yale University Healthcasts, brought to you by Yale Health. The future of care is here. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Yale Healthcasts. I'm Dr. Adam Smith, your host, and joining me in the studio today is Michelle Bry, APRN and pediatrician in the Department of Pediatrics at Yale Health. Today we are here to discuss a topic that has received a lot of attention both nationally and locally, both in the Yale community as well as on the larger stage, and that is a topic of childhood or pediatric obesity. In my line of work, I deal a lot with, uh, with adult obesity, roughly 12.5 million or some similar statistics, something around 17% of children and adolescents aged 2 to 19 in the U.S. are considered obese, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and that number has nearly tripled since 1980. So we asked Michelle to join us today to talk to us a little bit about uh, childhood obesity and why this increase Yes, it is pretty amazing. And actually, Adam, if you include the number of children that are overweight, 32% of U.S. children ages 2 to 19 are overweight or obese. Um, And this, as you said, has tripled since 1980. There's a whole number of reasons that have contributed to this. One is that there's definitely an increased availability of what we call energy-dense foods, which have a lot of calories in a small serving, as well as sugary drinks. Portion sizes have also significantly increased um, in the past couple decades. Unhealthy foods are also marketed towards children, um, so they're seeing it via advertisements on television, um, billboards, and, and things like that. There's limited access to healthy foods for some people, particularly urban youth. Uh, Their parents may have to travel by bus to actually get to a a grocery store. Um, And there's also been a big increase in the number of hours children spend using entertainment media or screen time. And this is because of smartphones, tablets, computers. Uh, Physical activity is another thing that's decreased. Schools no longer have the same number of hours of of gym class, um, and children are also more sedentary because of the increased screen time. Right. So it it sounds as though easy access to lower quality food choices is a big culprit. And obviously, if you walk down any grocery store cereal aisle, you'll see that. A lot of these patterns we also see in the adult populations, and there's some conversation out there, or at least I guess the better word would be... Um, observation that obese parents give rise to obese children. Is that is that accurate? Is that what you see in the clinics? Um, it is. It, that actually is a risk factor for um, obesity in children. Um, and that actually starts even before before birth. Um, women who uh, conceive at a higher BMI or have an excessive weight gain during pregnancy um, have children that are at higher lifetime risk of becoming obese. That's good to know. The, um, the next question that I have on my, on my punch list for you has to do with the age at which parents should begin monitoring this. The obvious answer in my, in my mind is from the start. Is that, is that reflexive sure. answer That's, accurate or yep. is there other information that we should consider? That's absolutely correct. Um, breastfeeding is protective against obesity in infants. Um, Parents learning babies' cues for when they're hungry and when they're satisfied is very important. Um, parents need to know that not every cry is a hunger cry. So you do want to uh, avoid overfeeding during, during infancy. 
there's an interesting uh, interesting point in some of the material that I was reading in preparation for your interview, and it had to do with the new tastes and textures in food. And I'd heard rumor that the brain tends to be easily fooled by some of the salt to sugar ratios. And I know that a lot of folks out there don't have the education that you do in the context or in the realm of nutrition, and that sugars and fats, most consumers are familiar with those two words, but they don't really understand how that contributes to a carbohydrate and that a carbohydrate necessarily equates a fat versus a protein or something else. Could you speak very briefly to how sugars are translated or carbohydrates translate into sugars and subsequently fat and the obesity problem that we see? Sure. In terms of introducing foods to babies. Babies are what we call neophobic of new foods. They may dislike new tastes or textures in the beginning, and they're going to acclimate to foods that are sweeter more easily. Um, so you you can sort of accustom a ba- a ba- make a baby accustomed to eating healthier foods that are lower in salt and sugar by continuing to offer them. A lot of researchers feel that it takes up to 10 times for a baby to get used to a new taste or, or to texture. To retrain their palate. Yeah, so you have to be so to kind of persistent with it. Yeah. <laughs> easier, easier said than done, I'm sure. Yes. Um, switching from the completely dietary approach, the next item on my on my on my punch list has to do with things that parents can do to help their kids stay healthy. I guess that can encompass anything from making healthier choices to increasing their level of activity. Sure, there's a number of simple things that parents can do. Um, a big one is having family meals. Family meals have been shown to be more nutritious than meals that that children eat kind of on the go or obviously restaurant food. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, there's also a number of benefits beyond the nutritional quality of the food. Children who eat family meals have been shown to have an overall increased sense of well-being. Um, there also may be um, something protective about it in, you know, reuniting with your family at the end of the day, and it may actually discourage teens from high-risk behavior, such as drinking and, and drugs. Yeah, it's a nice idea, that concept of family. <laughs> yeah. So, so thanks. Moving right along, we're talking about nutrition primarily in the context of childhood obesity. We've talked about the cereal aisles and the grocery stores. Nutrition labels are something that is a bit of a foreign language for a lot of people, um, myself to some degree included. You talked about sugars. Can we talk about some of the other names that sugars may be used to either slide in a sweetener or not necessarily intentionally fool the consumer, but that we should be aware of? Sure. There are a whole number of names that companies will use at sh- at to um, to also call sugar. Corn syrup is one of them, evaporated cane juice, dextrose, glucose, sucrose. Uh, you can also look at where those ingredients are listed on the label. If it's one of the first few ingredients, that product is is likely to be mostly sugar. So you don't want to see that in the top three ingredients. No, that's excellent, excellent, excellent advice. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about had to do with low fat. Low fat is branded all over uh, food products, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a high quality substitute for the fat that's been removed. Can you help explain uh, to our listeners exactly what, what that right. means? Right. There are a lot of foods that I like to call sort of pseudo-healthy. They're marketed in a way that makes them seem like a very healthy choice. Some foods that are low-fat are 
um, have added sugar and salt to compensate for the taste or the texture. Um, so you really want to be careful that you're looking at what other nutrients are in there. And with fats, you also want to be careful to avoid trans fats, which um, are the most unhealthy for your heart. Um, sometimes you also have to look at the ingredients and look for um, partially hydrogenated oils are going to be a trans fat. So you want to avoid those in food that you and your children are eating. So intervention, early intervention, you already talked to this or spoke to this um, earlier in our in our conversation that the children who are obese or more are uh, are more likely to be obese as adults. Is that statistic still with us? Yes, and and the risk increases with age. Uh, so a four year old that's overweight um, isn't at as high risk as when that child becomes 13, 14, 15, 16. And when these children carry the extra weight into adulthood, uh, that's when the consequences of obesity are more prevalent. They start in childhood, but become more severe as, as adults. So it sounds, just to rephrase, there is an opportunity for correction at any point along that spectrum. It just becomes more difficult the older that they get to change habits that may already be in place. Correct. All right, good. Um, in the context of all of this, and again, I know we've talked a lot about diet, but I feel that it's important to note that with any, with any, uh, I guess, any regimen, weight loss regimen, or at least mindful eating regimen, that without exercise, it's unlikely to be as successful as any dietary change alone. And I know that sometimes exercise is the more difficult component to add in because it takes time and effort. Have you found any strategies more helpful than others to encourage people to build in an exercise program with a dietary regimen? Definitely building it is is important. And the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that children get an hour of physical activity a, activity a day, mm -hmm. which can be kind of daunting. However, you don't have to have your child ex exercise for 60 minutes straight. You can break it up into smaller, more manageable chunks, um, you know, doing 10 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes here, um, you know, and adding more time later. The trick with kids, I think, is also finding something that they enjoy. Mm -hmm. It's less likely to be a battle um, if it's something your child enjoys and if it's part of their regular routine. And exercising as a, fa as a family is a great way to get the parents' exercise in as well. No, that's actually an excellent, an excellent point. Often in my work with adults, I encourage people to find small times that fit into their lives. And if they can share that time with their children, um, you know, the more the better. Terrific. Well, with that point, on that happy note, um, we'll conclude our talk for today. I'd like to thank our listeners for joining us and for you uh, for joining us in the studio today. Thank you. This has been a Yale University HealthCast, sponsored by Yale Health and the Office of Public Affairs. For more information on this and other health topics, visit our website, yalehealth.yale.edu.